0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Know, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, 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 friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. This is unfortunately the second time (laughs) I'm recording and filming this episode because I lost a battle with Premiere Pro um, and it absolutely hates me and it lost my video. So here we are again, but that's fine. That's okay because this is a great episode to have to do two times. It has been a hot minute since we have had any Empress Batty episodes and I am so sorry that I have done that to you. I apologize. But I am also very excited because this is a super cool Empress Batty episode to come back on to. Did that make sense? To come back on? To have on? (laughs) Now that we're back with Empress Batty episodes? Because today, dear one, we are talking about the queen of the kingdom of Zarya and she's a warrior queen. She's so freaking cool. But before we get into that, a few little housekeeping things I'd like to tell you about. First of all, if you did not know, For the Love of History has a YouTube channel, and if you have not subscribed yet, that would be super duper helpful. It's one of the best free 99 ways to help support the podcast. Your likes and comments and views are really awesome, and they tell Daddy YouTube that you like this, and maybe other people would like it too, so they show it to more people, which is, awesome and we can grow our community together and learn together. I would also like to bring to your attention the 2023 holiday gift guide that I am putting together. It it should be out by the time this episode comes out. I was inspired to put this together by Anne from Vulgar History Podcast, who is creating a gift giving guide of small businesses that are history related, related, (laughs) and they are absolutely amazing. I'll have links to that all up in the show notes if you're interested in buying small this year. So she's got the European history down pat. So amazing. Great, great, great gifts. And uh, I am providing more of the mythology, a little bit of other world history. So if you'd like to start your holiday shopping, you can go and check that out in the show notes below. And with that out of the way, let's grab our warm beverages or a slice of pizza or a little snickety snack snack. And don't forget your armor because we will be going to battle in this episode and let's get to it. Hop into the time machine with me, if you will, and let's transport ourselves back to the 11th century. That's the like 10 hundreds, by the way. I always get confused when people say what century it is, but um, I digress. When we step out of our time machine, we find ourselves in the kingdom of Zarya, previously called the Kingdom of Zazao, in the north of what is now called Nigeria. Zaria is still very much a place, but it's now a city in Nigeria and not a kingdom. Zaria was part of the original seven independent Hausa states that were in West Africa. They were predominantly Muslim and were a major trade hub for cotton, shea, peanuts, horses, salt, leather, metalwork, and unfortunately, they were involved in slavery. All in all, they were a pretty important hub for trade. From the perspective of many colonial and post-colonial historians, the Zaria and Xhosa people are portrayed as a male-dominant society with women having little, if anything to do with trade, government, and least of all, war and fighting and stuff. But this couldn't be further from the truth. There were indeed very clear gender roles in the Zaria kingdom, as well as other Hausa kingdoms, but women's roles were not seen as lesser, just different women's control over the household and specifically their children gave them a ton of power both privately and publicly since so much of public and private life were intertwined. And in other areas, women were given specific powerful titles and there are tons of instances of Xhosa women being queens in their own right. Political leaders, warriors, and military leaders as well. Colonization is just a... a blight upon history that conveniently changes things, but I will digress. The kingdom of Zarya was chugging right along, doing what kingdoms do, and slowly growing and gathering more land, expanding trade, and all of that good kingdomy stuff for several hundred years, until around 1533, when a very special little girl was born. Sometimes history naturally writes better scripts than a Hollywood film. And this dear one is one of those stories. Before she could walk, it's said that Amina attended court with her grandfather, King Sarkin of Nyor. She would sit with her chubby little toddler legs over her grandfather's knee and listen to him run a kingdom. And in my mind, I'm picturing the greatest childhood montage because not only did Amina attend royal council meetings, nay nay my delicious little donut, she also started becoming interested in weapons and fighting. And one legend says that her grandmother caught her as a four-year-old playing with knives in the courtyard, which is like a zero out of ten for Parenting, but it makes a super cool story. And because of this epic parenting failure, Amina's grandmother found her, told the king, who then allowed Mina. Amina to start training like a warrior. However, unfortunately not long after, her grandfather passed away, but her mother became the queen, like the queen queen, Queen Bakwa. And because her mom was hella rad, Amina was allowed to still train, and seeing the potential in her to be the successor, Queen Bakwa started intense, queen training for Amina. Her mother ruled from 1536 to 1566, a 30-year period of peace and prosperity. But despite this, Amina always favored warfare and military tactics, which is a little bit of foreshadowing. Anyways, in 1549, at the age of 16, Amina became the official heir to the throne. But for reasons that I could not find, Amina's younger brother, Karama, was made king in 1566 when their mother passed away. During this time, Amina continued to train with the Calvary and I really have no idea why any of that happened. Karama ruled peacefully for another 10 years until his death in 1576. How did he die? I have absolutely no idea. I could not find it. Believe me, me and my search history, Google, me and Google, Google Scholar, all, all of the search engines were like, why did he die? No one knows, at least not that I could find. So with 40 years of peace under their belt, the kingdom of Zarya was surely going to have more peace, right? That's how history works, right? No. With her brother gone, Amina took control of the kingdom peacefully and then almost immediately set out to kick ass and take names. So after an over 40 year long peace, the kingdom of Zarya went to war for the next 34 years. Almost immediately, Amina amassed an army of 20 foot soldiers and 10 cavalry. And as a side note, cavalry means a soldier on a horse or like a soldier on a thing uh to move around and a foot soldier is a soldier that like walks on their feet. <laughs> And I don't know why they just didn't say, like, foot soldier and horse soldier. Because that makes so much more sense to me. In my opinion, foot soldier and horse soldier is much better. And horse soldier is just, like, a cooler name than cavalry. So I don't know why the war historians haven't consulted with me yet on redoing military history names. Because uh, I would make them much cooler and way easier to understand. Does that, I always... Wonder about that. Why is it a cavalry? Why is it a legion? Like what? Who? Silly names. Silly names, but I will digress. Anyways, she had a big old army, a real big army for this time. And with her, hella soldiers on horses and feetsies she began expanding the Zarya territory. And when kingdoms expand, that usually means bad news bears for the land that is being expanded into. Lots of death, lots of killing, lots of forcing to change religions, pillaging, all that jazz. And Amina did a lot of expanding. She expanded the Zarian territory all the way down to the Atlantic coast. So, One would think that she caused a lot of death and destruction and not great stuff, but in true empress Batty form, Amina did not do that. Her goal was not annexation or forcibly asserting control and sovereignty over another country's territory and forcing assimilation, nay nay, dear one, her goal was to turn these neighboring cities and kingdoms into vassal states, which means that they would be under her control and they would pay her money and goods and all that. But they were more alliancey than takeover-y, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. She wasn't going in there and being like, "Ah, kill everybody, make this place mine. She was like, hey, I'm going to take over. And you can either like be on board with that, or I'm gonna kill like a few people and then ask again. And that was kinda how it went. <laughs> Although her expansion was not without bloodshed, it was definitely more political persuasion-y and tactically y than Slash and Bernie stab stab Kaylee. Because her whole purpose was to secure safe trade passages for the Hussa people and particularly her kingdom. And that's exactly what she did. In her 34 years as ruler, the Zarya kingdom was the biggest and most prosperous it had ever been or ever would be. And Amina's accomplishments didn't just start and end on the battlefield. She was also responsible for raising the quality of life for her people. And one of the ways she did that was by building big giant, humongous walls around her cities to protect people, trade, and to secure the borders. These walls that she built would become the model for every Hossa state in West Africa, and some of Amina's walls are still standing to this day. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, you can't go through life as a badass lady, warrior, queen, without accumulating a myth-like reputation. Amina's story needs no embellishment, but humans do love a good rumor and a legend, and when it comes to powerful women, that goes doubly, which is a fun word to say. <laughs> now, what we've talked about so far in this episode is all backed out by historical records and artifacts and all that fun primary resource biz, but to end the episode, I thought we could talk about, the myths and legends that surround this empress baddie. One legend that I'm particularly fond of is the legend of Zarian Chainmail. According to this legend, Amina came upon a particularly pesky king that would not submit to her will, which, how very dare he resist her in the first place. The biggest problem that Amina faced with the Husa king named Sarkin Kanajeji is that his army had metal helmets that were very good at disflecting, absolutely not deflecting her soldiers' moves. They just couldn't overcome these metal helmets. So what was a warrior queen supposed to do? Well, luckily for her, the Zarian kingdom was very, very good at metalworking so she introduced the concept of chain mail to her metal workers. What are they called? Smiths? That's the word. To her Smiths. <laughs> and supposedly she was the one who introduced Nigerian chainmail. What's now called Nigerian chainmail. In the legend, the Smiths quickly made all this chainmail. She gave it to her soldiers and then they beat the crap out of Sarkin Kanajeji because those little metal helmets could not stand up to the full metal chainmail. Now I say that this is a legend because we don't have any definitive evidence about Amina really introducing chainmail to her army and therefore the Husa people. So chainmail armor from around this time period has been found in Nigeria. And indeed, the people of Zarya were accomplished metal workers, but there is no conclusive evidence that it was Amina who introduced chainmail to the kingdom and her soldiers, but it's not at all out of the realm of possibility and if <laughs> if I may, as spicy biased TK, Amina definitely created the first Hulsa chainmail, but objective TK has to be a little bit more reasonable with a uh, thrown out wild facts like that. <laughs> but the next legend is a lot more legendy. Amina never married and allegedly never had kids, which is totally plausible, but there was a rumor oral history that went around for a hot minute about her sexual exploits and why she never got married. Apparently, allegedly, and supposedly, Amina had over 10,000 lovers. How is that possible, TK? I hear you asking my inquisitive little potato. Well, that's an excellent question. It was rumored that in every city that she went to, she had a different horizontal nighttime tango partner that she would take with her into the tent. And then the next day she would lady praying mantis them by chopping off their head so that they wouldn't be able to divulge any of her secrets or talk about her in a sexual way. And I don't know what kind of, what kind of pillow talk you were having Amina where you needed to kill the person afterwards. But you know what, in theory, I love that for her. I love this journey for her. And I will never forget something that a history VFF commented on a post I made. (laughs) Where they said, I support women's rights, but I also support women's wrongs. And in this case, this is exactly how I feel about this. Which is what Spicy TK would say but objective objective TK, must bring balance to the world and not let chaos win by telling you there is no evidence to support this at all. (laughs) No, no evidence whatsoever. This is purely a legend, purely a rumor, but spicy TK sure does love it. Sure does love the idea of this. (laughs) So for our last legend of the episode, we come to the end of Amina's life. She ruled for 34 years long into her 70s, but we have no idea how or really when she died. We do, however, have her legendary death. Even into her 70s, Amina never stopped fighting and chopping off lovers' heads. (laughs) She went into every single battle with her soldiers like she was the goddess of war herself. But in about her 77th year her luck and skill apparently ran out and she is said to have fallen in battle in a place called Atgar. Her body was never recovered and there is no grave for her. The Nigerian government has, however, put up a statue and a memorial for her and though she has disappeared, she is most certainly not forgotten and is revered and remembered in Nigeria to this day as Amina Rana Deyar Bakwa Tasang, meaning Amina, daughter of Nikatau, woman, as capable as a man. And I'd venture to say that that, dear one, is an understatement. Oh my goodness gracious, I love when I can end an episode in a good mood all my chins are out (laughs) because I'm so excited and feeling good I love it when we have an empress body that doesn't befall some terrible horrible ending or tragedy or some garbage human stabs them in the back just a good old-fashioned kick-ass lady who does cool stuff I love it so for our out, uh nope (laughs) for our final thought today dear one I have a hesitant movie recommendation for you very hesitant there there's a movie about Amina loosely based on her life and the history of the time period but unfortunately it's extremely low budget and that caused it to be a very B maybe C level movie. Her story is so cool but there clearly wasn't enough funding for the production to do her story justice but I do think that It's still worth a watch because the costuming is great. It gives an idea of what the time period was like and what Amina was like. But again, production value is not great. And maybe if more people watch the movie and there's more interest in her story, there can be a second movie made about her with a bigger budget, TK says, hopefully. (laughs) Well, dear one, it was incredibly refreshing to have something happy, a happy ending to an Empress Batty episode. I love going back to our roots and doing an Empress Batty episode and I really want to do more in the next season and if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like more Empress Batty episodes, let me know and share this episode with your friends. How many times can I say episode? Goodness gracious. Share this episode on your socials tag me in it I love seeing where you are when you're listening to the podcast what you're doing when you're listening to the podcast and if you haven't already I would really appreciate you praying to the altar of the algorithm gods and leaving a rating and review and if if you didn't know on Spotify you can now leave comments on episodes which I can read and I absolutely love them I love knowing what you think about the episode so if you listen on spotify go ahead and give it a try the little q a section just post what you want and i want to (laughs) know and by by leaving these comments essentially it lets Spotify, Spotify, oh my god! It lets Spotify know that you enjoyed the episode, and it recommends, for the love of history, to other potential history BFFs, which is super duper cool. And if you'd like to support the podcast in other ways, you can join us over on Patreon. You can also pick up an amazing piece of merchandise like this sweater. If you know, you know about the History Hippo. If you know, you know. <laughs> I think it's super comfy, super cozy. The inside is really, really soft. Um, And I think it's really, really cute. But I am also biased because I created this design. (laughs) And I'm very proud of it. You can also support the podcast in some free 99 ways by subscribing to YouTube, leaving a comment, commenting on social media, sending this to your friend, all sorts of great ways to support the podcast. And with that, I will let you leave. (laughs) <laughs> I will tell you to do something kind for yourself. Treat yourself nicely. Go outside, touch some grass, hug someone consensually, please. Don't just be going out hugging random people. <laughs> Fill up your little dopamine gremlin tank. Drink your water because uh I know I feel it in my nuggets that you haven't had a little sippy sip in at least 30 minutes so have a little sippy sip please take care of yourself because water is very important and i will see you next week when we talk about the true story of the rosetta stone okay love you bye why is there a metronome right now okay (laughs) hello everyone stakuya here and i'm gabby It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.